0: That is the sound of Mozart's Don Giovanni, an opera that you may be able to watch in future in Manchester if plans to bring the English national opera up north come to fruition. This is the Manchester Weekly from The Mill.
1: Hello there and welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly with me, Daryl Morris, and Yoshi Herman, the editor of The Mill. Hello, Yoshi. Hello, how's it going? Yeah, good my man, good. We've got lots to get into again this week, uh, including the the sort of, uh, what has become a bit of a fierce debate, mainly because you've kind of made it a fierce debate uh, on Twitter (laughs) about the English National Opera uh, that we'll get to in a minute. You've got some strong opinions on that and their potential move to Manchester. Uh, we'll talk also about Counterfeit Alley, where we'll be returning to after discussing that the other week, and uh, you've got strong views on that as well, Yoshi. Strong views on everything this week. It's going to be basically like a like a sort of American television network firebrand. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm going to be am going to be a shock a shock shocked shocked <laughs> um, Before we do, let's talk about something just really quickly. Molly's piece that we discussed on the podcast last week about spiking in Manchester, this brilliant insight into the sort of harsh reality of being a woman on a night out in Manchester. It's had a great reaction, hasn't it, Yoshi?
0: Yeah, the piece has done well, and I think it's done well because it really got into the question of how powerless people become when they've had their drinks spiked. Obviously, it's not just women. As one of the commenters pointed out, it's, it's men as well. And there's a, there's been a problem with it in the gay village as well, so... This isn't just, you know, regular sort of freshers' nights out. I think it happens in lots of different settings and scenarios. But, yeah, I think the piece got into just how terrible it is to not know what happened to you, to not be able to get the police to help you, and also not to be able to get journalists really to write about it because they can't get to the bottom of it. And we had this story in there, in that piece, about how we tried to stand up the, the fact that a bar in the northern quarter had deleted CCTV footage and we couldn't, you know, we couldn't stand up that story. It was a very interesting piece because I think it explored this new, not, not, there's not this new phenomenon, sorry, it explored this important phenomenon um, from a slightly different perspective, from the perspective of just like the difficulty of getting justice and the
1: difficulty of getting to the facts. Yeah, quite. And it's a really brilliant read. ManchesterMill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe and to read it. Let's crash on, Yoshi, into a big debate this week about the English National Opera and whether a move to Manchester for them would be a disaster. You have been having a bit of a scrap with opera lovers on Twitter of the last week or so. Take us into this story, Yoshi. How do we find ourselves even discussing their potential move to Manchester?
0: Yeah, I didn't think I'd spend my week beefing with opera lovers. Actually, because I actually I really like opera. I wouldn't say I'm a, I you know opera lover who will go to something every couple of months or every month or whatever. But I, I've been to plenty of operas um, in my life, and when I heard that the English National Opera was losing its Arts Council England regular grant, i.e., it's not going to get regular funding. But the Arts Council have said to ENO, the English National Opera, you can move somewhere else. I mean, Manchester has been the suggested name. And we will give you a, a grant just to make that transition. I thought, OK, look, this is this is tricky. Like, who knows whether that would work out? Or um, who knows whether Manchester can fund that kind of thing? Who knows whether the Arts Council would give enough funding in future for it to work? But my initial reaction was... OK, that's interesting. You know, it's a it's a proposal I hadn't really thought about, but clearly, like, the North doesn't have um, an opera company of the stature of the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden or the English National Opera, which is, like, very nearby in London at the Coliseum. We do have Opera North, which is really good, and I'm actually going to one of their performances in Salford next week at the Lowry. But, you know, that tour's around, so it's not in one place. It's based in Leeds, but it's not, it's not serving sort of one city on a regular basis. So, you know, I think there would be a strong... Op- argument for having more opera up here. But what's been really interesting is just how anti the idea other people have been. And I think some of that's, you know, some of that's perfectly understandable. And maybe we can get a bit more into that.
1: Okay, go on then. Why, why, why are people so against?
0: Well, I think the, one of the big reasons people are angry is because it's a great British cultural institution getting uprooted, like violently uprooted from, from where it's been had its home for more than 100 years. So I, I think that's totally understandable. I've been to the Coliseum. I think I watched the magic flute there. The difference between the ENO and the Royal Opera House nearby is the ENO does operas in English, they sing in English. So I think that was traditionally seen as more accessible. They have their roots in a slightly more sort of working class, bringing opera to the working class type story. You know, it's an institution that I think has had a lot of criticism for not quite getting its shows right, not attracting the right audiences. But it is a big British cultural institution, and I think, kind of, just for the Arts Council, which is effectively, you know, given its instructions by the government indirectly, to make a decision like this that totally uproots that company. I think that's controversial, rightly so. You know, what we actually need is. You know, there's this there's this expression, making a bigger pie or, or increasing the size of the pie. That's kind of what we need with British culture. We need a lot more British culture rather than just moving a bit of funding from London up north. But I think if there is going to be uh, a change in funding, I think moving more of it out in, 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 into the north, into the Midlands, does make sense. And I don't think we should be closed off to the idea that this could be a success. Um but yeah, no, I think that I think it's it's understandable that there's been backlash on that on that front. Where I have a lot less sympathy is with people who've said it will be a disaster in Manchester because Manchester isn't an opera city and doesn't have an opera audience. And I found some of those arguments pretty thin. So there is a um, opera critic. I think he used to work at the Sunday Times called Hugh Canning, and he writes a, an opera Substack, an opera blog newsletter, which I actually haven't um, read. Um, I, I I will do, but. He His argument was essentially, Manchester is not an opera city, and it's and he, he points out that when the Opera North tour around, they tend to go to the Lowry, which is in Salford, and he's kind of saying, well, that's because Salford's got an opera audience and Manchester hasn't, which I think anyone who knows anything about this area will know is, is nonsense, and everyone who lives here will know that the same culture-going crowds can very easily get to the Lowry as they could get to you know, the, the new Factory International or they could get to any other venue in, in this. It's, it's all one sort of city centre, isn't it? So um, I think he's wrong on that front. But I also think he's wrong to suggest that it would be kind of a total disaster to bring opera here. I do think it would take a long time to build up an audience. I think there would need to be, like, very strong funding in place. And that would clearly have to come from the Arts Council. It couldn't just be a transitional thing. They would need to give revenue funding, grant funding as well. Plus, I think the local authorities here would have to fund fund it. But I think it's an interesting idea. And, and you know, I've been supportive of it. And I've been like kind of slightly beefing with people on Twitter who I think are just being a bit condescending to Manchester, really.
1: Yeah. Also, Liz Truss is called. She wants her "Growing the Pie" reference. Well, actually, I thought she was going to ask for it back, but she's just pleased someone's used it. Actually, uh, so. <laughs> I'll keep it. I'll keep it going in a different context. it <laughs> to Liz Truss. Okay, this this also brings us to Oldham Coliseum, doesn't it, as well? Because and and talking about losing arts funding, because Oldham Coliseum has also lost a, a, a quite a big chunk of arts funding.
0: Yeah. So this was this was a bit of the. Arts Council news that it's gone down really badly and, and and rightly so. So, the Coliseum in Oldham, they applied for 600,000 a year over three years, which is a total of 1.8 million, and they did not get that. They just didn't, they weren't for part of the funding round. And they said in, in, in a statement, having been funded by ACE, which is Arts Council in England, for decades, the Coliseum's current business model relied on this funding. And as such, the theatre is having to look again at how it will move forward. The Coliseum's executive, And senior management teams are working on this as a matter of urgency. So it's clearly a really big problem for the Coliseum. And it's a real shame because Oldham really needs things like the Coliseum to grow and to be successful. And I think it has had some recent success and it got through the pandemic okay. And I think it's, yeah, it's a massive blow for culture in Oldham. Does it support Hugh Canning's argument? I don't think so. I think people like Hugh Canning are used to a world in which London has 90% of the prominent culture in this country. And I think you'll, you'll see this sort of attitude that like, you don't touch any of the stuff that London's got. We'd love there to be more culture in the North, but it has to be additional stuff. And I I, I would love that scenario too. If we had a government that was gonna put an extra billion a year into culture, then I agree, but we don't. And in that scenario, I don't think people should be looking down their nose at, at places like Manchester or, or Oldham getting more funding. And actually, you know, the Coliseum, it's part of Oldham's attempts at regeneration, it's part of, it's, it's one of the reasons that people might go into Oldham if they don't live in Oldham and see all the amazing buildings and go to the bars and, and eat there, you know, I'm a big fan, as you know, of, of Oldham and very sort of keen for it to, to keep on working towards a slightly better future because it's had a really tough time. Having a theatre that's got good, good pantos and good plays and stuff is a big part of that. So I think it's a
1: massive shame. No, I don't think this particularly supports his argument. I also really like the point that you made to him, you know, about Salford and Manchester being very much the same place. 12 minute drive. You posted a, a map of uh, the drive from Manchester, the centre of Manchester to the Lowry, which was a 12 minute drive. And if the argument is based in the fact that Manchester and, you know, that Salford is a much more much more likely to welcome an opera than Manchester is, then it's dead on arrival, that argument, isn't it?
0: It's an argument being made by people who, if they've ever been to Manchester, they haven't spent much time here, or it's an argument based on like things as they were 20 years ago. But we both know that Salford doesn't have a really, really strong opera-going audience. We both know that Manchester also probably doesn't have a really strong opera-going audience. It would have to be built, you know, and that's how you that's how you build great institutions. You know, do you think when when the Hallé launched, Manchester just had a really natural orchestral? Uh, audience. I actually don't know, but I su- sort of suspect it didn't as a big industrial city. And, and, and that culture has grown. And now sometimes when you go to the Halle, like I did recently for the Verdi Requiem there, uh, there was a really, really good crowd, not totally full, but like really, really good crowd. So I think these things have to be built. I think all of us who believe in this city and, and who believe in this region would love there to be more and more things like this. And I, whether it's in, you know, th- there is a big question of venue, Would it go to the Factory International, which, you know, it does seem has got a big problem around what will actually happen in it. I really haven't seen any evidence that the Manchester International Festival knows what they're going to do with that space. Um, Would it go to the Lowry, which isn't in Manchester, it's in Stalford, but it does have a big enough stage and it does have the facilities and it does already host operas. Although I have to say, if people want to see a bit more detail about this, there's a very intelligent debate about this story under our Monday briefing, where lots of our readers weighing in including a sound designer slash engineer who worked on opera in leeds and there are some people under there who are saying look i'd love this kind of thing but it can't be the lowry because the lowry the sound quality just isn't quite good enough for opera which is interesting I'm, I'll, I'll go go next week and find out if, if i think that's true um, then there are other options like the palace theater and that kind of thing so do read our monday briefing about this and do read our follow-up members only a little piece on it on tuesday because um, we got onto some of these questions, and some of the comments under the Monday briefing on the mail are great. So ManchesterMail.co.uk.
1: Okay. Elsewhere, Yoshi, we've been following the story of uh, Yusuf Maki around the time of his inquest. We did a special episode detailing the story. This week we've heard that lawyers for the family have asked the judge to grant a fresh inquest into his death, haven't they?
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think most listeners will know who Yusuf Maki is. 17-year-old, who's stabbed, and really no one's ever been brought to justice for that. Now, it's, it's difficult to talk about this story because of the legalities of it, but I went to the inquest in Stockport last year, about around this time last year, I think it was November, and that ended up recording a narrative verdict, which basically means that the coroner couldn't establish that this was an unlawful killing or the various other verdicts that, that inquests can come to. And that therefore, the, the precise circumstances of the stabbing basically couldn't be ascertained. And you look, there's loads you can read online about this story. It's a very, very sad case of a family that genuinely believes that Yusuf Mackie has not been got the justice um, from the system that he deserves and that the inquest should have, have shown a different um, result. And that's what they're lobbying for here. And I, I've spoken to Jade Mackey, Yusuf's sister, on, on many occasions, and this is just a big, big campaign for her, go, being going on for years, to try and get more um, public understanding um, and more acceptance from the system that her brother was killed in, in terrible circumstances. So it's it, as I say, it's a little bit of a difficult one to talk about because of the, le- the legal considerations when it comes to this, but I hope that people who, who haven't read about it will go about and read about it online, and I do think the mill will probably end, end up publishing a, a big thing on it.
1: Okay, uh, we believe the evidence in that is being considered and that a ruling will be uh, uh, delivered at a later date. So we'll keep an eye on that as it develops. Also this week, Yoshi, we've had some census data and I love census data. Digging into census data is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? To try to build a portrait of a, of a city. And we've learned a little bit more about Manchester, but also in particular, the sort of age of the people that live in Manchester is quite is standing out in this data, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think we've actually probably said on the podcast before that Manchester is a really young city. But this um, census data... Oh, that was always based on like um, older census data, but this census data really backs that up. The median age in Manchester, so that's not Greater Manchester, right? That's Manchester, is thirty one years old, um, which which is younger than Liverpool, which is average thirty five, Leeds thirty six, Sheffield thirty seven. So it's just like incredible, um, incredible number that, and I think it probably speaks to how many young people have moved to Manchester. It speaks to how many students there are, and it speaks to the fact that graduates now are staying in Manchester rather than going elsewhere, but that was really striking. Also really striking was 31% of Manchester's residents were born outside the UK, and this survey, I mean, this um, census, it was done last year, wasn't it, from memory? I think I think we answered them, yeah, 2021, it's every 10 years, 2021. So this is a very, like, up-to-date stat, and 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 that 31% of residents born outside the UK, that's way higher than, like, Leeds, 16%. It's almost double proportion in leads it is actually double the proportion of liverpool 15 percent, and sheffield so twi- as a proportion twice as many people from overseas i think such a fascinating data set people should google um, ons um, census data because they're kind of releasing bits as they go along yeah brilliant like insight it feels right doesn't it It
1: feels like especially in the city center it's, it feels very young well i was gonna say you're, you're you're there now and you are in the city you live in the city yourself right does it feel like a young city, and how is that... I'll poke my head out of the window and uh, and, and have a look. <laughs> you do a straw poll, yeah. people passing by. How do you think that that sort of younger vibe shapes the city, in your view? Look, I think it's it's probably... It's a really good question. It's probably one of the reasons why
0: hospitality is doing so well in Manchester. People expected loads of hospitality businesses to suffer over the pandemic, but actually it's been remarkably resilient. And I think that's partly as Vaughan Allen told us when he came on the podcast, that's partly because so many people live in the city centre now. I think it's also because probably there's such a young average age, the age at which you don't have, you know, a lot of people don't have kids yet. Um, they still have a lot of time to go out or they still have the energy to go out or they still have the interest in going to places. Not that older people don't, but it's obviously more frequent for young people. So no, it, does, it does feel a bit about right. It does raise a bit of an interesting question. Like you don't just want to become a city for young people. You know, you don't just want to become a city where people in their fifties and sixties and seventies feel a little bit alienated from it, or they feel like everything's for young people, or they feel like their considerations aren't listened to. So I think there's an interesting, like, sort of balancing act there. But no, it does, it does feel right, and um, I don't know, it feels quite exciting as well. So also the people from outside the UK feels quite exciting. I think a lot of British success in the past fifty years has been based on the fact that we've had so many people from around the world, particularly in London. A lot of London's strength comes from and the diversity of it people come from all over the place you go on the tube and you see people from everywhere and it's it's such a, a good place such a strong place as a result of that and i think manchester's getting a bit of that if manchester feels less you know manchester still feels i think less diverse than than london but i i think those kind of stats show that we're we're heading in that kind of direction i think that's a really good thing i i think that
1: will that can only benefit the city right yeah, I think it's I think it's a great thing. It clearly makes the city kind of vibrant and exciting and ambitious. You know, if we're looking at what Manchester's going to do with its future and the future of jobs and skills, a new generation who are bringing a different kind of skill set is going to be oh, so important to the development of, of the city and the region. So, yeah, I think, it can, I think it can only be a good thing. Elsewhere this week, Yoshi, this is another story we've been following. Uh, we did a, a, a chunk on this a couple of weeks back. Counterfeit Alley, also known as Bury New Road, you'll have seen this news in the last few weeks that it's being blitzed at the moment by Greater Manchester Police because of this stretch of retail units around the Strangeways area that have been home to a network of counterfeit sellers. And we've seen some images, haven't we, Yoshi, in the last couple of weeks of those raids?
0: Yeah, we have. This is one of those stories where it gets a hell of a lot of play in the news, particularly in the MEN. <laughs> I'm going to read you out a few, um, a few headlines. You've got Manchester's doomed counterfeit street, Manchester's doomed counterfeit street will move underground after being bulldozed, says shopkeeper. You've got, what you've had over the past year is you've just had loads and loads of stories about this, about these shops. I mean, maybe this has been the case for ages. It's had tons and tons of coverage. And I don't To be honest, I don't really get why. I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked into this deeply. So perhaps I'm just missing something. But this just seems like a story that the police love talking about because it makes them look tough. They're raising things to the ground. Again, it makes them look tough. It makes them look like they're doing things. It's very visual. It's very good for the news and stuff. But I have to say, I read these comments by the chief constable in the Sunday Times saying this was uh, an enormous, enormous generator of illicit money, this you know, relatively small um, line of um, of shops. You know, how much money are we talking about? The he said the trade in fakes allegedly costs the UK economy eight billion a year. And then he said something like, "quote Some estimates would say that over fifty percent of that comes from Cheesham Hill." I mean, it's sorry. It's, it's the Chief Constable of Manchester, Greater Manchester Police claiming that four billion pounds worth is lost every year because of. Those shots, like, what, sorry, am I, what am I missing here?
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. I think there's perhaps a little bit of um, hyperbole involved.
0: That's <laughs> absolutely ludicrous. Like, that's absolutely ludicrous. Someone pointed out on Twitter that that would be, like, the equivalent, I can't remember what they said, the equivalent of everyone in Greater Manchester spending one and a half grand there every year or something. It's
1: absolutely absurd. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, let me let me put this to you then. So, so those stats and those numbers aside, fine. There is two arguments to this, isn't there? And the first, I suppose, is that 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 is a network of counterfeit shops that are taking money out of the actual economy, right? Why are they taking money out out of the actual economy? They're taking money out of big brands
0: like Gucci and Prada and Adidas, obviously, but so you're not spending 100 quid on a pair of you know, tracksuit bosses from Prada, sorry, 400 quid, but you're spending 30
1: quid on in Manchester. But why is that money coming out of the economy? Because the company aren't paying tax on it and the, the consumer isn't paying VAT on it. And also, there's also the manufacturing element of that as well.
0: Possibly, but so, to be honest, Daryl, some of these very large companies have other ways of avoiding tax via clever accounting and having HQs overseas and yeah, fine, not with VAT, but like... You can't just take the total of what that person's spending and say that's coming out of the economy. I mean,
1: is it? Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Well, well, I mean, I mean, presumably yes. I mean, presumably, if you if you spend some money on a counterfeit good, that means that you are not, you know, if you buy a bag from a counterfeit seller, that means that you're not buying a bag from a legit seller, and therefore you're not paying VAT on it. So I suppose there's that on a, on a very
0: yeah, but that's predicated on the idea, I think. I think these figures are predicated on the idea that if you didn't buy a £30 fake Gucci bag on Berry New Road, you'd be going down to Milan and picking up a real one for 500 quid. Of course you wouldn't. That's, that's again, mad. I, I guess I don't really care that much about this, but I do think it's one of those stories where the MEN cares about it a lot and therefore the police kind of you know, get, get their muscles out and, and, and start showing off. And is it one of the things we should really care about in the city no, I wouldn't put it in the top 100 priorities, and yet it seems to get way, way too much coverage. I mean, look, I think if, if these guys could conclusively prove that these guys are funding crime or they're, they could show some evidence that they're like, this money is going towards like really awful stuff that's ruining people's lives, oh, maybe I would get it. But um, they, they seem to be just coming up with like mad figures that don't make any sense, kind of pictures of we're raising this and we're bulldozing that. It all seems a bit macho to me. And I think if people get distracted by the police's PR about stuff like this, they're probably just just like slightly falling for a, a clever marketing game okay
1: whilst we're offering therapy for you uh, Yoshi and <laughs> <laughs> where to get some stuff off your chest tell me about this um, what you've described as an absurd plan to get rid of a 300 year old footpath. By the river at Irwell. What is this? We're supposed to be some sort of objective media company, aren't we? So we'll... Uh, we'll. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I think we'll, we'll,
0: we'll be on that now. Yeah, actually, we'll, but... we'll, lower the, we'll lower the temperature. Um, <laughs> no, this is, to be honest, this is a great sign of when community activism can really work. Um, there's this plan for this 207-metre footpath at Blackfriars on the Irwell. The, the plan was, of this development, it was going to divert walkers through the lobby of a 16-storey hotel, which is just like... Okay, that's like sounds like an absolute insult to um, you know people's ideas of public space and an insult to people who have a right to go on public space. There was this backlash, and it was led by Dr. Morag Rose, who's a long-time Mill subscriber and reader. She's a university lecturer. Um, she, she you, you, might remember we've quoted her about Piccadilly Gardens before because she's also really believes that the council's got that wrong. And anyway, she's I think she's basically won. She says we, you know, she needs, still needs to get legally tight wording that really proves that, that this, this um, footpath will remain open, this access will remain open. But it's nice. Yeah, it, it, it does seem like the plan to have it go through a lobby, which would have meant most people would obviously wouldn't, wouldn't use it, that's been junked. And legal in general have to you know, have a, a, a rethinking their plans. And the council's responded to public pressure. So fair play to the council and fair play to Dr. Morag Rose
1: and everyone else for putting that pressure on, I think. Okay. Do you feel better? Yes. Yeah, no, much better. Is that helpful? Um, Okay, good stuff. All really interesting stuff, actually. And and as usual, Yoshi, you are bang on the money. That's you up to date. What's going on in the newsroom, my friend? Take us into where you are right now and uh, and what you're working on.
0: Well, I'm going to be slightly vague about what we're working on because we've got a couple of really great stories coming up, but we're not, you know, until you've given people a chance to respond and that kind of thing, we need to do that. But we've got a great story about a very prestigious school um, that some um, kids from Greater Manchester go to that's in, like, very... A chaotic trouble, and Molly's been doing some great reporting there. We've got another story about a... Uh, actually, I'm not going to go into that one. We've got another great story coming up, hopefully, this weekend um, with lots of, you know, I think, really important details about a key sector, the hospitality sector in this, um, in this city. So that's coming up this weekend. I'm being a bit... I'm being a little cryptic because uh, you know I don't don't want to talk about stories until they're they're ready to go, they're oven ready, as Boris Johnson says. Why do I keep on choosing these Tory <laughs> phrases, oven ready, increasing the size of the pie? Anyway,
1: so that th- those things are coming up either tomorrow and Saturday or Saturday and next Saturday or something like that. Keep your eyes in your box. Strong teas, very, very strong teas. Manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe to get those two really important bits of journalism in your inbox. And Yoshi, your, um, some, some tips and some advice for things to do around Greater Manchester over the weekend. What else is on your radar?
0: Well, yeah, going back to the beginning of the podcast, I'm going to the um, performance of La Traviata um, at the Lowry on Tuesday they're doing that performance but then Opera North have uh, three or four other performances at the Lowry coming up in the next kind of 10 days-ish and um, I've been told by the Opera North people that there are tickets available for all of them and I think we should probably prove to people that people do go to opera in this city and and that they'll enjoy it so um, going to the Lowry on Tuesday for La Traviata if there are any podcast listeners going drop me an email yoshi at manchestermill.co.uk because it'll actually be cool to meet before I I said the same to our our, uh, subscribers on the email list I'm going to be in the bar beforehand, so it'd be nice to meet a few people. Um, And that is my, yeah, that's my recommendation
1: for the week ahead. Very nice. I'm going to nod to uh, Bugsy Malone, which is on uh, the Opera House, I think it is. Uh, So no opera on at the Opera House. Bugsy Malone from Wednesday which actually starts today starts starts this week sorry wednesday but it goes all the way through the weekend uh, so you can still get some tickets uh, for that and also manchester animation festival is happening this weekend and there are some special screenings of some uh, cosgrove hall films some of the stuff that they managed to save uh, after the fire at manchester central library so if you go to manchester central library you can find out more about that that's happening all over the weekend and there's a couple of things dotted around the city but that will be my pick for you that'll be my nod um okay that's it from us for this week you are fully briefed don't forget to like and subscribe to get this podcast in your feed every single week everything you need to know from the city you love and more brilliant standout journalism like this including some really big and important scoops in the next couple of days manchestermill.co.uk is where you go for that for now yoshi thank you thanks very much